passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Que Golazo podcast. Uh, we have a great chat with Inyola Aluku, one of the greatest former players in the women's game. She's now the sporting director of the women's side for Aston Villa. She's also a qualified lawyer. She was the first pundit, uh, the first female pundit for match of the day. She has a tremendous resume and she's here to talk about all of it right now. Enjoy. Welcome to Que Golazo. Well, it's a pleasure to welcome to the show a truly inspiring person and one of the hardest working people in the business, Inyola Aluku, one of the best players the women's game has ever seen a former England international with more than 100 appearances, titles with Juventus and Chelsea. But Annie's more than that. She was also the first female pundit on Match of the Day, a qualified lawyer, and now the director of women's football for Aston Villa, who earned promotion and playing in the Women's Super League for the first time. Aniela does a lot. I think you need to keep adding more things to your to your list there, Aniela. It's absolutely amazing. Annie, welcome to Keo Lasso. An absolute pleasure to have you. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm really good. Thank you. Um, it's uh, nice to finally get on the show. Thank you for such a warm introduction. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's nice to, nice to be here. What time is it over there where you are? Oh, it's only as we're speaking, this show will come out later, but as we're speaking, it's 3 p.m. Eastern in New York City. I know that's a little later in, okay. in the UK, right? So what's it for you right now? It's uh, eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. So I won't take you yeah. to, I won't, I won't have you for too long. <laughs> I know that you're very busy. Um, as I, I was saying, um, Eniola is uh, the director, sporting director of uh, Aston Villa Women. Um, let's talk about that for a second, first of all. Exciting times. It was a busy summer where you brought in key players in order to strengthen the squad. But it hasn't come without obstacles. Obviously, at the very beginning, results didn't go the club's way and coronavirus affecting the team as well as many others. But now, you know, as we speak, three wins from the last three matches in all competitions. Um, and it's just, you know, there's a confidence with this squad. Gemma Davis is just so great. You want to root for her and the team. How are you feeling about the direction of the club, the squad and the women's football in Aston Villa right now? Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling positive. Um, I think that um, it was always going to be difficult. Um, the, the, the team obviously got promoted and last season were very much a semi-professional outfit. The training three times a week wasn't a professional team. Um, so we had literally maybe two months to transition into being a professional club, a professional team with professional standards of professional training. Um, so we're not there yet, but but we we've definitely uplifted the whole um, 
the whole kind of operation to make sure that players were ready to come in as professional footballers. Um, I think this season in particular has been more difficult, obviously, for obvious reasons with COVID. But I think also we've seen a surge in um, players coming to the league and, and going to other teams. So there was already a gap um, with the WSL and the gap just widened even more with people like Tobin Heath, Kristen Press, Sam Mewis, these players coming to better team, the bigger teams, there was already a gap that just got bigger. So for us as a newly promoted team, it was already gonna be difficult. And then there was another layer of difficulty, um, you know, in, in terms of other teams like Everton as well, strengthening. So it, it's a journey. Um, I certainly knowing, you know, playing in the league for so long, I knew it was gonna be difficult, but I think that there's nothing, there's, there's a no bigger teacher than experience. And the players experiencing losses, experiencing, you know, the difficulties, I think that will be, that will be good for them. And hopefully that will, that will make us learn quickly and, and we can keep getting results. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one thing I love about uh, what you're doing, by the way, um, is the partnership between the club and Aston University, yeah. a, a program for players. So talk to us a little bit about it. Yeah, so it's called Students of the Game. Um, it's a Students of the Game program, which was, um, you know, it, it, it's a project that I wanted to, I've, I've kind of had in mind for a long time now, actually. And it's kind of born out of personal experience. When I studied as a lawyer, as a, I was at Chelsea at the time, and I was balancing, obviously, studies and, and football. And although I had, you know, support from the club, there was no sort of financial support. There was no sort of um, structure in place that encouraged other players to do the same. And I always wondered why in women's football in particular, there wasn't sort of club funding for players to um, effectively study, you know, you know, develop in their other areas of their life. And so um, Students of the Game really is, a program that that allows the club to assist players financially towards their tuition fees. It also promotes a dual careers model. So we're saying to players, we want you to be the best professional footballers we can be. You can be, but we also want to invest in you as people. We want to develop you so that come come the end of your career, you will look back and say, Aston Villa really helped in you know helping with me with my masters or my my degree. Um, so it's, and it's also saying, look, we, we don't want to just cage, you know, uh, label people in sports related courses. You know, there's, there's lots of different things that are relevant to sport, like accounting, like finance, like, you know, sport and director masters, etc. So there's a wide range of courses available um, with Aston University as a partner. And uh, yeah, really proud, really pleased to have got that off the ground. And, and there's lots more to come with it. It's absolutely fantastic. And honestly, like women's football aside, I feel like this should be a narrative for everybody. Like, you know, the Premier League, like even, yeah. you know, I feel like yeah. American leagues sometimes uh, do this a little bit better than in Europe. But it's such a yeah. I wish there was a trickle effect because it, it's like you said, you know, it, it, a player is more than a player. I mean, you're the perfect example of that. And I think this is a shining is a shining moment. Let me ask you something. Uh, Any, uh, you know, as you know, WSL so well. How do you feel it's going right now? What do you think it is right now and where it's headed? I mean, for me right now, the WSL is the best league in the world. Um, maybe, you know, a lot of Americans would argue with that. Um, 
in terms of you know the competitive uh, the, the competitive level. Um, I know in the NWSL, you know, the bottom team can be the best, the, the top team, and there's you know there's there's lots of changes in 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 that. Um, but I think in terms of um, competition, in terms of players, in terms of the brands of clubs, we we have the best league in the world. Um, I think where it's going is that hopefully we will have women's teams that start to become their own brands in their own right. I think we have an advantage in England in that we are part of huge global brands. So whether it's Manchester United, whether it's Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester City, Aston Villa, these are huge clubs, well-established clubs and brands because clubs are brands, right? So it's being able to say, how can the women's team be an extension of that brand whilst also attracting different um, commercial sponsorship and um, you know different kind of partnerships that really take the club to another level in areas maybe that the men's team can't go. So students of the game, for example, the plan hopefully is to be able to align with commercial sponsors that are keen on education too. Whereas in the men's game, maybe that's not a, as, as much as a concern. So it's really about developing women's teams as brands that we can start to create um, income streams that make the game sustainable. Because I think at the moment we have a model that relies on benefactors, you know, the men's club giving us money. And often like, like COVID has shown, often um, women, the women's game becomes less of a priority when, you know, something happens. So it's being able to say, we want to be able to start moving towards a model that creates our own income streams so we can invest in players, so we can transfer players. And, you know, so we build a, a, an economy within women's football. That's where I'd like it to go. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, and actually, you know, it's very, um, again, it can echo in many facets of, of women's sports where it shouldn't rely on the men's product, it should be the product itself. And like when you look at the yeah. WSL, especially from a marketing standpoint, I'm seeing since at least since uh, the 2019 World Cup, you can see that at, at least even from the most, uh, you know, uh, simplest form, the way that it's marketing itself, it, I feel like there's some fire that's, that's growing, right? It's just like you said, there needs to be so much more from an infrastructure perspective. Yeah, and it's going to take time. Um, it's going to take time because, you know, we're, we're, I don't know how long you've been an Aston Villa fan, for example, but since I was 11. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, we can't expect fans necessarily to just, you know, wake up and buy into a women's team. It's a journey. You've got to kind of tell the story. You've got to, you've got to win games. You've got to be successful. Um, so it takes time. Um, but you have to try and sort of implement it and put yourself on that journey. And you have to have that direction where you say, okay, how are we going to shape ourselves as a brand, as, as a narrative to be able to align with, you know, other great brands that are doing the same. So I'd like to see women's football go in that direction. I think TV is a big thing now. So, um, you know, you can see the WSL on NBC, you can see the WSL in America. There's, there's lots of overseas broadcasters you can see all over the TV in England. 
So the next step, I think, is the game, um, the, the, this, the, the income streams from broadcasting being distributed to, to, to clubs. Yeah, absolutely. So clubs start earning money from TV, like in the men's game. Exactly. Exactly right. Listen, let me ask you something. You did bring it up. Um, as we're speaking on CBS Sports, obviously a US-based network, plenty of Americans now in the league, Sam Mewis, Kristen Prest, Urban Heath, Alex Morgan, the Tottenham, of course. What's your, your view on the US women's national team and their talent? Does it add fuel to the fire for English talent, do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the American players are incredible. Um, I have a lot of respect for them. Um, they are, you know, serious women um, on and off the field. And I think their mentality, that meant that sort of unapologetic uh, winner, winning mentality is bound to rub off on every single, you know, player that, that, that they meet in England. Um, I'm sure their training habits are very good too. Um, my only reservation is that, you know, I think where the likes of you know, Tobin Heath and Kristen Press have signed like one year deals, obviously Alex Morgan's, you know, signed a three, three month deal or four month deal, however long it is. You know, my only concern is that sometimes the deals are too short um, and you have to try and, you know, the club has got to try and find a way where it's not, they get the most out of that time, um, but also try and aim for longer deals so that you have, you know, the American players for a bit longer um, because it can be quite disruptive. Um, but at the same time, I think I understand that, you know, there's a big focus on the national teams with the Americans. So they don't want to be out of the US for too long um, because, you know, they want to help the NWSL and they want to help their national teams too. So it's just getting the right balance. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I want to switch gears for a second because, listen, I think we have a lot in common, actually. Like you leaving Nigeria and immigrating to England, I also left Peru and moved to England as a kid. And in your excellent memoir, uh, they don't teach this. You talk about this dual identity battle with being mm. British Nigerian. And mm -hmm. as a Peruvian, British born, but Peruvian, my entire family grew up in Peru. I relate to this so much. And there's a quick wow. segment. There's a quick segment on your book about, you know, when you got your UK passport. And for you, it was like, okay, but for your family, it was just such right. a big deal. And that's exactly what happened to me. And there's a part I just want to quickly read from your book where it says, you know, um, I saw for the first time what this process meant. Getting a red passport was more than a formality. It was about status. Uh, she had been an adult when she, you know, my mother met an adult when she first came to the UK. And all this time she had been a foreigner. She had worked hard to forget new paths for herself and her children. I turned over a little red book in my hand and stroked the gold coat of arms on the front. I picked out my old Nigerian passport and held it in my other hand. Two passports, two identities. No one could teach me how to navigate this hyphenated identity. For me, being British Nigerian is a tightrope I'll be on for the rest of my life. And whenever I wobble or feel others are trying to pull me in one direction or the other, I grab onto my hyphen and remember I'll always be both. Uh, aside from such a beautiful, uh, you know, uh, it's a beautiful passage, right? Passage. It, it's, I just, I relate to it so much. Um, mm -hmm. Listen, what does it feel after you, all you've done and continue to achieve this dual identity and what it means for footballers, actually, especially black and brown ones who represent England, especially 
just this 2020 year that we've had, right? Uh, mm -hmm. You know, not just COVID, which obviously is the main topic, but just the fight against racial injustice and, and just trying mm -hmm. to feel rep. What does it mean to you when, when you hear those words back to you uh, and this dual identity? Do you feel it even stronger? Are you more of a cynic about it now? What, what do you feel? I think uh, it's a great question because I think identity is something that should be celebrated. But often, you know, the labels that we attach to ourselves and to other people are negative. Um, so embrace the hyphen and that, that, that passage that you read was about embracing both, embracing both sides of your identity. Often we live in a world where it's like that or that. You're on that side or on that side. You've got, there's no nuance. You can't be both. You, we, we live in a world that's always trying to box. We have to reject that because you're Peruvian, but you're also, you also grew up in England, you're now in America. All of those things are part of you. But it's like, we live in a world where it's like, no, you have to choose one. So identity for me is something where you embrace all of it, all of it. And I think I struggled where I felt like I could only be, oh, I'm playing for England. So I have to fit into this box of being English, but I'm not English, I'm not fully English and that's okay. You know, so um, it's being able to say, we really need to stop labeling um, and, and just understand the nuance and the beautiful nuance that is human beings. The, the, the beautiful um, opportunity to say, wow, you know, what was it like growing up in Peru, but then like coming to England and now living in America, like all of those things have had an impact on your identity. And it's having those conversations and it's talking about that um, in the way that, you know, I changed my outlook on life when I went to Nigeria. Um, so yeah, it's, it, that's the message for me. It's about embracing all the sides and forgetting all the boxes and the labels that come with identity. Yeah, you said such an important point, which is, you know, people want to put us in a certain way And I feel that it's because it makes it easier for them to just, mm -hmm. you know, channel it in, I guess. I remember when I first moved to England, uh, I lived in this area, right, uh, in, 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 the south of, uh, in the south of England, you know, outside London, where it was, you know, the neighborhood was half Turkish and the other part was half Greek. Greeks thought I was Turkish and Turkish thought I was Greek. And I was like, I'm neither, I'm Peruvian. And they were like, we don't know what that means. So, you know, so therefore I felt pressure to just accept and say, yes, I'm Turkish or yes. But it's, it's because you're trying to fit into what you just said, that box and it becomes harder and harder. But I feel like, I feel that now it's, it's becoming a little bit easier for people when Are, you know, that are younger that probably went through our paths a little bit easier. Do you see that or do you think the struggle remains? I, I think that it's hard. It's, it's, it depends on where you live. Mm. Um, you know, one thing I've had the, the benefit of living in Italy, living in America and obviously living in London. And my appreciation of London now is so much greater because London is a melting pot. There's a shared community in London because people are from everywhere and it's that celebration. And actually we're more similar than we all think, you know, we, you know, we, we, our cultures, a lot of our cultures are based around family. A lot of our cultures are based around education. A lot of our cultures celebrate sport. So we're not as different as we think. 
but actually there is a lot of kind of separation, division, um, particularly in this 2020 year where, you know, politically there's just, there's just so much division. Um, so I, I do think it's harder and I think it depends on where you live. I think some cities are easier than others. Um, I think London is definitely a city where wherever you're from, you will find a spot to, to be okay. Um, you know, this, you live in New York, I'm sure it's the same in New York. Um, I felt exactly the same way. When I moved to New York, I, exactly what yeah. you said. You just appreciate it more, totally. You just appreciate it because the people are from everywhere and it's a, it's a cosmopolitan city. Um, but what we want is the whole world to have that culture. We want a whole a world that really just celebrates our differences um, and, and accepts that actually there's beauty in difference and, and there's power in talking to people that don't look the same as you. There's power in, you know, sitting across the table from someone, okay, that might have a different political view than you, but actually if you want the same thing, just talk about it, just figure it out, collaborate. Um, that's where I want it to get to. That's where I want it to get to. Because I think politically, it's just, everything is extreme. You know, you, you can't be seen talking to that person. That, that person's the complete opposite of you. But yeah, but what if that person, me and that person think the same thing or think similar or we need to get to the same place? You know, there needs to be more collaboration, more talking to people from different different backgrounds. Yeah, absolutely. Um, listen, what do you want to do like 10 years from now, five years from now? What do you see yourself? I know it's, <laughs> I, I know it's a question you would usually ask somebody that's, uh, you know, perhaps less experienced than yourself or already what you've already achieved. But I just, I kind of see you as this Renaissance person. Like it's just, you're always remodeling yeah. yourself in a way. What, what do you want to do? Is there anything that yet you haven't done uh, that you wish you could do? Or are, are you, you know, obviously... Uh, there's so much that you're doing already, but is there anything that you're thinking, yeah, I, I want to tackle that? Well, I always come back to my passion points. I think, you know, it's we're blessed in life to be able to do jobs that include our passion. Football is my passion. I've played it since I was five years old. So I want to, you know, I definitely want to continue staying in the game. Um, I think in the role I'm in now as sporting director, I love it. I love it because it really pulls on so many different skill sets that I have. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think I would like to potentially sort of work, um, you know, as a CEO of a football club um, on the men's side, which would then allow me to influence the women's side at a much higher level. Um, club ownership interests me maybe you know maybe one day I'll be part of an ownership group um you know in football which again allows you to shape something from a much higher level um and I think you know I'm passionate about diversity I'm passionate about seeing different types of people working in football and I think often those cultures can't shift until the person at the top makes it happen so I think when you have black owners or or, or or more black CEOs, you'll see more black coaches, you'll see, you'll see people from more back, diverse backgrounds um, because you have a diverse thought process, you have a diverse recruitment process. Um, and then I think personally, um, 
writing a book really opened my world and to so many different views and so many different readers. Um, and I've just launched actually a project. Um, it's a brand called Hyphen, which is actually based on um, the chapter of the extract you read. So Hyphen is, it will be a, a travel essentials brand which will celebrate hyphenated people. So people like yourself who have multiple, you know, multiple kind of touch points in terms of your identity. Um, and the idea is that we, it will be um, a brand that really celebrates identity through travel. So I'll be able to, you know, um, really celebrate people like you to say, okay, you know, what, what part of you is New York? What part of you is Peru? What part of you is London, you know, England? And, and um, you know, really celebrate that through, through travel products. So that's something that I'm, I'm excited to, to do. That's kind of part of my 2021 personal passion project. Um, and yeah, just staying happy, staying, you know, having good people around me um, in 10 years time, that's still gonna be important. Um, staying healthy, which I think 2020 has showed us, it's really important to stay healthy, eat well, you know, still work out, um, do all the simple things that, that keep you happy in life. I love that. I love that. And you can count me in on hyphen. I'll do anything you need. on Yeah, that. I'd love to. I'd love to interview you. Absolutely. If you want me to talk about Peruvian food and also yeah. you know, watching EastEnders growing up and at the same time loving New York pizza, we can all put it all together in one beautiful how book. Did you, I'm interested to know how you became a Villa fan. Oh, uh, well, that's a funny you ask, Annie. Um, so I moved to England when I was... Uh, 11, uh, literally just left Perugia in a very rough time in Perugia in the shining path time. And, um, you know, enter England, didn't know anybody. The culture was a complete, uh, you know, it just scared me a lot. Uh, you know, I spoke English, but it was very broken. I didn't have any friends, but I, you know, like you, like obsessed with football, obsessed with the game. And I wanted a team to support. And this was obviously the early 90s, the beginning of the Premier League. But I didn't have any friends. But I did make one friend, and his name was Mark Russell. Huge Aston Villa fan. Oh, and really? And his family would take me to Villa Park uh, every home wow. game. And uh, that's when I met my heroes, Dalian Atkinson and uh, Dwight York. And um, I just fell in love with Aston Villa. And Villa were really my gateway to English culture because of that wow. connection. And it never stopped. It never changed. And so, you know, uh, people, our listeners and our watchers probably get a little like, here we go. Luis Miguel <laughs> again, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great story. It's a great story because we have so many different avenues into who we support, you know. And actually, it's something that really interests me as a sporting director, just tapping into the fan base yeah. abroad, you know, for the women's team. Like, how can we really you know figure out where our fans are absolutely and, and, and have conversations with fans abroad and really ex expose people to the, the women's team a lot more because you know what stories like mine are they're everywhere all over the world yeah. and, and people if, if clubs only understood i think one of the clubs that have really picked up on that is wolverhampton actually wolves especially when uh raul jimenez went to wolves uh they wolves realized that it's not just Raul Jimenez, but the Mexican fan base that just like sticks with and just that yeah. bridge of like Mexico and, you know, Wolverhampton, all because of Raul Jimenez. But now they've developed that. But there's so many more stories like that, to your point, about just understanding the international fan and what they can do for the brand 
and the other way around as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's definitely something I'm 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 going to explore, um, to make sure that we're having global conversations. Um, you know, Aston Villa is a very traditional British club, um, but it's a huge club. You know, there's fans like you all over the world, but we gotta we gotta try and draw that conversation out more. I think. Well, to me, the best thing would be to see you. As a CEO, I mean, that would be amazing. Or, you know, the owner of a club, like you said, a men's club that can make so much more decisions. I remember Tyrone Mings recently said, listen, it's about opportunities. That's all it is. Give us that chance. Put yeah, us in. That, that's what it is. Put us in coach and we'll no do. One, no one, no one, uh, no one gets anywhere in life without the opportunity. It's everybody. I mean, unless you're born into royalty, <laughs> everybody was given a shot. And, um, you know, so, so access to opportunity has to be as fair as it possibly can um, so that you pick the best, best possible people. Um, I, I think that's really important. Absolutely. Inyola Aluko, such a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I hope that we get to do this again. Listen, good luck with everything. Uh, make so sure... Much. Make sure that you follow Annie uh, all over social media. She's all over the place, be and quite rightly so. And we're so happy to see her. And also, you're a columnist for The Guardian, as you didn't have enough jobs to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Annie. Yeah, no, I've been, I've been writing for The Guardian for a while now. It's, been, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I used to work for The Guardian. So, like, you know, uh, another thing we have in common. But it's great to have your, uh, your... And by the way, her columns are not just about the women's game. She talked about Man City and Liverpool and, you know, uh, so many other uh, topics to discuss. Any such a pleasure to have you on Kegola. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Louis. Thanks. I want to thank Inyola Aluku for joining me today. We have a lot, a lot more content coming this week. So make sure that you follow us on Kego Lasso on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. Have a great week. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.